This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 40 years now. They're an activist, solutions-oriented publisher focused on bringing you tools for a world of change. They've now published over 600 books available both in print and ebooks, as well as an increasing library of audiobook selection as well. They care deeply about both what they publish and how they do business, and so the same thinker and doer approach permeates their in-house work and the books themselves. A certified B Corporation, they print on 100% post-consumer recycled paper, and they are carbon neutral, and they print only in North America, never offshore. And that's just the company themselves. Most importantly, they've got the best selection of books that you need to build your own regenerative ecological or community-based projects. You can check out their full list of titles now at newsociety.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back. Now, many of you are going to remember my guest today from the three other interviews that I've done with him over the years. Zach Lokes is a good friend and a maverick of many regenerative skills and knowledge. From growing up on a permaculture homestead in northern New Mexico as a kid, to farming commercially in Canada, teaching edible ecosystem design through Ecosystem U, designing and installing edible ecosystems, and many more side projects, I'm always thrilled to catch up with him. Now, in the past, I've interviewed him about his previous books, The Permaculture Market Garden and The Edible Ecosystem Solution, which are broad concepts and patterns that are brought into practical design and applications. Now today, however, we're going to focus on his newest book, The Two-Wheeled Tractor Handbook, which, in contrast to the other two, is a much more specific manual about the wide range of uses and applications of a versatile tool, which then incorporates broad concepts and the uses within it. So in this interview, we start out first by catching up, as Zach explains some of the most fascinating projects and jobs that keep him constantly busy and innovating. And from there, we dive into the world of two-wheeled tractors and why he believes they're one of the most useful and adaptable pieces of machinery for a wide range of contexts and enterprises. We discuss their history and innovation and the huge number of single-use power tools that they can replace on a farm or a homestead. We also do a side-by-side comparison with larger four-wheeled tractors and, on the other side, compare them to working solely with hand tools. Zach also breaks down the options for different attachments, personal considerations as to whether a two-wheeled tractor is right for your own operation, and we even discuss the maintenance and the repair considerations to make sure that it doesn't break down on you. Yes, it's nerdy, yes, it's super fun, and yes, it's always inspiring to hear what Zach is working on and tinkering with. Now, keep in mind that you can get all of Zach's books right now at newsociety.com. So with all of that out of the way, let's hand it over now to Zach Lokes. Hey, brother. How's it going? Hey. It's been a long time. How are you doing, man? Yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, We just had an ice storm here. It's kind of wild. Oh, goodness. Yeah. You ever seen one of those? I mean, in Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not here in yeah. Spain. <laughs> not easy. You're like, no. <laughs> not recently. No. <laughs> How's that affecting? It's really pretty out, though. It's like everything is like coated in like an inch of ice, you know? Oh, man. So what yeah. is it? It's just like uh, it rains just above freezing then. 
and then it freezes or it's like right at that level that it starts to freeze and build up ice as it touches the yeah yeah i was thinking about it yesterday i i didn't actually look it up but i think technically it's like the the water's like super cooled so it like as soon as it contacts anything any surface it just freezes automatically because the water's like and I don't know why, I don't know how it's super cool and it doesn't turn into ice pellets or something, but, right, right. you know, and then it started ice pelleting, like it did both, right? Like it ice pelleted and then it, you know, it was, it's pretty wild. <laughs> like lots of fun. But I like it. I bet your plants are loving yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah. How's so how's it going, going in Spain, Looks like man? You've been busy. You... I've been seeing all kinds of content coming out and uh great stuff on yeah. social media you've got the book you've got the different facets of your business you're a busy dude yeah i'm pretty busy yeah i'm uh trying to you know co after covid i'm trying to like you know get back out there right like sure you know everybody everybody was sleeping <laughs> you know well, so what's got you spending most of your time on different projects right now um well, I'm I'm really involved in developing this edible biodiversity conservation area right now. So yeah, that's like really like acre one. Yeah. So it's like I'm in, you know, year four and I'm just, you know, just there's lots. That's where a lot of my focus in terms of like landscape work is going. Um, but I've got some other, you know, jobs and projects, too, that I'm managing and working on. Um, but yeah, I think the bulk of the energy in terms of that sort of stuff is going there just because it's pretty big and, you know, a long-term kind of project. And, um, yeah. Well, tell me more about yeah, that I one. Cause I saw it come up in the book and I would imagine it must've been in an earlier stage back when you were putting the, the book together. What's it looking like right now? Yeah. Like, tell me a bit about the focus of it. Yeah. Um, are we, are we, is this going live? Is this the, this, what we're recording or? Uh, we can be, we it easily can? can be. Yeah. Otherwise we can. Oh yeah, I wasn't sure. There's stuff, yeah. I, I, I thought we were just chatting. The first. stuff you told me already is really interesting. I need to put my mic, my mic voice on. Okay. Well, <laughs> just like Oliver. get into character. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the, yeah. So the EBCA is essentially what we're doing is we're, we're throwing as many different types of plants that we know are pretty much hardy to our area, but are borderline. So we're pushing, we're pushing the envelope uh, a few hardiness zones, um, and and just to just to see that you know essentially the question is you know do you really know what's suitable to your land to an area until you actually uh planted and see it survive so um and that includes things that are said that to be hardy to a certain zone so this project's in a zone four um but i just I, I i call those guidelines you know and i think that two things happen in the perennial food plant world uh one people uh push the hardiness zone of a plant without any data you know or without enough data in terms of what 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 its real hardiness is. Um, and then the other thing that happens is that there's nurseries that just don't know anything about what's what, and they're just bringing plants in, and they're all coming from different zones anyways to begin with, and it's kind of discombobulated. So 
what we want to do is have real living testimony to the plant hardiness of a certain region through the EBCA, um, and then also uh, living demonstration of its long-term suitability uh, in various guild designs. Mm -hmm. So, so both of those, like trialing it and showing that it's surviving, and then playing around with different guild designs, and then, and then it's also a source point for you know education and for plant material and seeds and things like that. So, um, yeah, very it's pretty, exciting. It's pretty, so with uh, 100 acres to play with, I mean, that gives you space to do tons of different stuff. I mean, are there yeah. are the guilds kind of built around some central ones that you know work pretty well, like, you know, apples, pears, the types of things that do well mm -hmm. in, in colder climates? Or are you really just throwing out the templates and trying a ton of stuff just to see what works? Yeah, a lot, lot of different things. Like, essentially, the way that we have it organized is... Um, there's these there's double triad there's triads with double hedges uh, like edible fruit hedges and then in between them there's larger plots and so we consider both those perennial triads and those larger plots to be living laboratories so each of them can have their own theme and sometimes living laboratory is subdivided even further if necessary so in some cases within one of the, the living laboratories um, which, you know, actually goes 300 and almost 400 feet, actually, but I consider it three blocks of 100 foot uh, beds or, or plot, because then there's some access space between. So essentially, that can then be subdivided. So one of the living laboratories that's, you know, 300 feet long might actually be three micro laboratories within that, or, you know, uh, field scale laboratories, not really micro at that point, but, you know, um, it's so that's that's and then each laboratory we're playing with different themes so one of them it could be a uh, well one of them is a tall grass prairie restoration with emphasis on um medicinal varieties of 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 plants edible varieties of prairie plants but it's actually a tall grass prairie ecosystem restoration so um and then another one is you know uh, a, just a typical market garden Right. So that it is actually a market garden operating like a market garden, but using perma beds and demonstrating, you know, good um, management techniques and things like that. So, you know, polar opposites, you know, like. Right. But in both of them, we're playing around with the same sort of ideas of guild design and suitability to things, um, you know, and then in other ones, we're doing, you know, a fruiting hedge where we're alternating various form and function along the hedge. And in some cases, the guild designs are emphasizing uh, practical designs that might apply for a homestead or a community area where, you know, you might have a long laneway and this is a good design that would work along this laneway. Um, and in other places, it's trying to veer away from things that would be really practical for a home grower and more practical for, for a profit-oriented farm. So you know, we're playing with those different scales of operation and profitability too. That's so cool. Cause it really, like I can see through the description you've given me now, the patterns that you're repeating with your permabed system from your first book, the edible ecosystem solution patterns that you evolved on from there and how that works all the way up to a hundred acres and down to a laneway or somebody's little backyard. The patterns are what's really cool. And you've yeah. outlined so well in your previous books. 
And that's why I'm wondering why, or I guess what inspired you to write a book that's quite a bit different from your previous volumes that goes into practical description on how to use a particular machine. So where did this yeah. idea of, of, yeah. of a book to about two-wheeled tractors come from? Well, yeah, that's a good point. You hit, you hit it on the nail, like always all over. Um, I It is a little bit different, but I think, so part of what happened is that I decided that I actually want to produce um, a few different types of educational material. Um, and so over here, I want to produce books that are really looking at full scope uh, production. So the Permaculture Market Garden, you know, um, is really about how to start a piece of land from scratch. I know it's called the Market Garden, but it's actually the journey of starting my homestead from scratch on 50 acres of land and then making visioning and decision-making all along. And then how I turn that into a market garden and develop the permvet system as a way of integrating annuals and perennials, right? So it's a whole, it's a whole concept, right? And the edible ecosystem solution is also an entire concept. I mean, that is essentially the, the baby of edible ecosystem design and this modular formula for creating highly diversified but highly organized landscapes. But again, it's its whole it's like it's a whole system concept and they they are connected and evolving in terms of the relationship the two-wheel tractor handbook is a start of a, a series of books that i'm going to write that are looking at different aspects of production from a certain point of view so i actually call this a tractor's eye view of things right and i'm writing one right now that's a tool's eye view, right? So you'll see in the two-wheel tractor handbook, a lot of discussion about the permabed system, about ecosystem design, which is an edible ecosystem solution, about these concepts, about decision-making and, and visioning and all these same things, but it's through the lens of, 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 a, of using a certain type of equipment. So there's also a lot of nitty gritty about two-wheel tractors and, you know, the different types and uh, the different uh, ways that you can use it. Um, but it, it pulls on that, but it's got that vision on it. So that's sort of, that's sort of where that jump is, 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 is focusing around something so that people actually um, can find, you know, different, different aspects of how they're producing and where it applies, you know. Man, that's really cool because I, one of my favorite phrases that I think of to describe narrow-minded thinking is a man with a hammer sees a world full of nails. And like you're saying, this is a tractor's eye view of ecosystem work and, and market gardens and different ways of producing a yield from the land. But by using the perspective of a tool and some of its limitations, looking at the whole range of possibilities that are available to you with this tool so that you don't only see the nail, but rather the spectrum of what can be done with this tool. That's really cool. And just like you said, I yeah. see the, the integration of the permabed system of the edible ecosystems in this. And it's, I mean, having browsed through it, right? I mean, it's, this isn't a book you read like a novel. Uh, it's It's been really cool to see the the principles, the patterns like we talked about earlier, through the lens mm -hmm. of a very versatile tool. 
And so with that said, let's go yeah. back to the beginning and explore when and why two-wheeled tractors were developed in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's cool to hear your perspective, though, because actually, like, you know, we've been chatting for such a long time as this is evolved. all the so way back kinda, to the first book. That's right. You brought me a yeah, copy so about teaching Guatemala. That's... <laughs> That's yeah. not way back. Yeah, so it's kind of neat to hear you think think it through like that too. Um, yeah, I think I think that one of the cool things is that is that two wheel tractors. I think somewhere in the book, maybe at the end or something, I'm like, who killed the two wheel tractor, right? Because two wheel tractors were right there at the dawn of the transition from horsepower to you know quote unquote horsepower, right? right. Right. Uh, they were right there at the beginning of that innovation. There's all sorts of really cool um, old photos and information about some of the early two-wheel tractors, including this rain-driven two-wheel tractor. I was going to bring like, that up. That was one up. of the coolest pictures I saw in that book. It's like, oh, that's exactly <laughs> how that transition was made. They just stuck a, a, a gas-powered <laughs> engine on the top of a cart, and that's they it. still figure, like, okay, well, they know how to drive it with reins. So how do we adapt the machine to be rain driven? Brilliant. I it's literally I feel like you know that that and you got to imagine back then like it's hard. Not all of us can like time travel. I I, I do that a little bit, but only in my mind. <laughs> but you know it's uh if you imagine being back then at the the turn of the century, I mean that would have been your mindset, right? You would be like, okay, how do I harness the power of the engine? to be a horse and the person inventing an engine was probably literally thinking about a horse you know yeah, so course. like this is you know the horse the mule the oxen so but so what i think is interesting is that they were they were right there at that time and they sort of got dropped and replaced by the four-wheel tractor but it didn't happen in europe as much they got they kept on so through my my kind of research and I you know I did a, a trip through Italy and was really looking at a lot of this and it really it really looked like essentially the the two-wheel tractor continued to have utility because the food culture and the small intensive management of land gave viability to this machine even through the error of the the era excuse me there's my error for the day um of of the transition to really large fields and really large uh, equipment um and and, and so it's neat because it's that's that's the same today you know the two-wheel tractor does not apply in a thousand acre farm but in a two acre intensive market garden it does and in a you know 15 acre uh property with multiple homestead projects it does and as a edible landscape designer this is the place where i just think it's baffling to me that this is not like this is the biggest potential for the transition of our uh suburban urban and rural areas to more community uh um gardens and more um community food forests and more just private properties with it. Like this is a powerful tool for that sort of work, you know? So I think that's kind of, that's the, what the neat thing is that, you know, it's kind of coming, coming back to life as we see and, uh, and, you know, but it has this glorious past. Yeah. And 
with this transition to smaller, more intensive scale stuff, like you said, which is still well alive and, and being practiced in places where there aren't big flat tracts of land that lend themselves to you know homogenization of farms and monocultures over large areas, these are still being used. So where do you see that it plays a role in these homesteads, these smaller scale gardens, market gardens, even orchards? What's the the utility? What are the tools that it offers to somebody in each of those contexts? Yeah, well, I, I, I think what's really cool about the two-wheel tractor, and I always like to like re-emphasize, is that it is a real tractor, right? It is, you know, you know, people have these garden rotor tillers and things like that, these little push rotor tillers. And so I always say like, oh, well, you know, you see this rotor tiller, right? It's a push rotor tiller. You see over here, this little push snowblower. Those are power tools, you know, they're power tools with little wheels on them. Like all that does is rotor till, all that does is snow blow. Um, and they're not built really that rugged and they're single purpose. But a two wheel tractor is a real tractor. It has a transmission with a PTO and you can multi connect anything you want to it. There's like, you know, dozens and dozens of different implements, you know, that can hook onto these babies. So, um, and there's even different types of two-wheel tractors. You know, there's multifunctional two-wheel tractors that, you know, have PTO power for all sorts of things. And there's also draft style ones and cultivator two-wheel tractors that you can hook up, you know, uh, uh, sweeps to and actually row crop cultivate, which is like super dating back to horse agriculture. This is like literally how we did it row by row, right? So there's a lot of utility in it that it's a real tractor. Um, but if you are, you know, if you're working in an orchard, for instance, let's say you have a backyard orchard, or let's say you're doing a permaculture style market garden, you know, like I did with, with fruit and then vegetables and then fruit, you know, um, kind of in hedges with the vegetables between, you know, you can go in there and, with a, um, uh, a mower and you could mow underneath like a sickle bar mower. You could get underneath the fruit trees, you know? Um, you could go in there with a utility cart during harvest, you know, and just be able to load it on, you know, and again, a hundred acre orchard, yeah, that's not practical, but you know, if you have a one acre orchard, sure, you know, why not? You could go in there with a cart with your, your bins, get to the end of the row, you know, unload them onto the trucks. So you don't have to go in with your truck, you know, like, um, you could bring a little chipper in there, you know? So what we do is we microchip in the orchards. So we go through when we're pruning and we just prune and chip like like just prune, chip it. Right. So, you know, this is this is a lot of different things like that that, that apply in different contexts. In addition to the very, you know, typical, um, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, plow a field like they, there's a rotary plow and a swivel rotary plow and a mold board plow. Um, and you can, you know, form raised beds, you know, things like that. So, um there's just lots of utility in there and, and multifunctional nature to things too, because all the different equipment. And I, I really, those are themes I love. And I think that, you know, that's, that's some of the stuff that's really, you know, carries through uh, out the book is how you can kind of start up, scale up and pro up your enterprises, you know, and make the right decisions about equipment and choose equipment that's really multifunctional so that you're, you know, using it in many different ways and keeping the equipment useful throughout the season. Like, I love that you could throw a snowblower on this thing. So then you're using it in the winter, you know? So that's great. That's that's how we use four-wheel tractors, right? That's that's the same sort of power and utility that helps you pay for things. The, the more something's in use, 
the quicker it pays for itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And let's go back to this key feature that makes it such a versatile tool, which is this PTO. First of all, can you explain the, the acronym there? And then look at the range of options for add-ons to the central portion, which is the two-wheel tractor. Yeah, yeah. So the, the PTO or the power takeoff is in, in connection with the transmission. So it actually allows you to, you know, drive and operate your PTO and you can put on, say you put on a garden tiller or something like that. Um, and then you can offset the handlebars. So you can walk alongside, beside the two-wheel tractor offset, which is one of the really cool features about a two-wheel tractor as opposed to, um, you know, garden tillers and stuff is that the handlebars are really versatile. You can offset them to either side and flip them all the way around, right? So, um, but yeah, you can, you can then, you know, connect all sorts of things onto your PTO, um, some implements will require an additional uh, item to go onto it in order to connect it. Like you can get a power cradle if you're putting on some of the other implements that require that. And um, it's just really, it's really versatile. Oh, you can get a quick hitch. I think that's the main thing that people would want is if you put a quick hitch onto your PTO, then you can actually just lift a lever and you can slide on the implement and connect it. So you're, you're mating the, the male and the female ends, and then you can snap it down. So that makes switching between implements really easy, right? Um, but yeah, so for earthworks, you can put on a, a tiller. Uh, it's a rear tine tiller. Um, the PDR tiller has a precision depth roller. So in addition to being able to adjust the depth that the tiller goes into the ground, you're all with, with there's like a, a, a wedge underneath that sort of like makes sure it doesn't go deeper, but you can also adjust it with a roller at the back that sort of keeps it from going down. So you can do very shallow tillage um, and that's important. There's also a power harrow, which tills um, in, a, in, a, in a vertical fashion instead of flipping the layers. And so that's a really good conservation tillage tool. Um, and then there's also a rotary plow and that can help to plow or form raised beds. Uh, my absolute favorite Earthworks implement is the Power Ridger. This is phenomenal. Um, this was designed for sweet potato farming um, in Africa, and it is just makes a great trench. But you can build permabeds with this thing and reform them and utilize it for composta paths. And it's wicked. It's just a wicked cool implement. So, and then on the mowing side, you have sickle bar mowers, you know, that you could cut hay, rake it, even bale it. You can do micro round bales. Um, there's a flail mower, classic for, you know, all sorts of things. And, you know, if you wanted to, you could mow your lawn with a flail mower and mow your cover crops and manage them between your orchard if you wanted, right? So that sort of thing, you know, just lots. And then on the homesteading side of things, there's things like, you know, irrigation pumps, you know, water trans transfer pumps. There's utility carts and um chippers log splitters you know you know there's a lot of lot of a lot of things a lot of things can hook onto these things there's a stump grinder you know i haven't used the stump grinder but i saw it in action like <laughs> that is cool like i think i might need i think i need a stump grinder you know when i go into some of these jobs that's the one thing that like hampers me actually when i have a two-wheel tractor is when there's 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 we cut down all the trees and if the trees were too big then you know, you have to get a bucket in there or something. So I'm like, I think I need a stump grinder. <laughs> Man, that's cool. Yeah. It really is the Swiss army knife of pretty small manageable machinery that you can get for these mm -hmm. types of projects. Now, 
nothing's perfect. And so let's do a compare and contrast there between a four-wheel tractor, which has pretty much all of these functionalities and probably some more. So pros and cons of each. But then also look at the other side, mm -hmm. because people will make the argument, you know, why use gasoline power when you can do these jobs by hand? So where does it fit mm -hmm. in the middle there? Where are some of the advantages and where would you consider either doing it by hand or going for a larger machine? Yeah, no, this is a really important conversation. And I'll throw in there also um, the tasty nugget of people who are concerned about tillage and, and talk about no-till. So um so why go for a four-wheel tractor um hands down the most useful uh implement on any farm is a bucket there's no doubt about it like that thing gets i you know and i and i i've farmed at all of these scales i think that's what made me a good author for this book is is i i've worked with just hand tools you know I've worked with just two-wheel tractors. I've worked with just four-wheel tractors. And I've worked mixing them all together, which I call mixed equipment scale farming or mess, which can oh. be a real mess if you don't do it properly. <laughs> sure. um, but it can be very effective if you know what you're doing. So um, so if you are at a certain scale where you need to move a lot of material, you, you might very well want the bucket. Um, but after that implement there, um, there's very few things that I wouldn't prefer to do with a two wheel tractor at a certain scale. Yeah. Right. So just to rephrase that, like, like, and I lay this out in the book in a really great infographic that shows the scales, literally that and, and scale I define in a very multifaceted way, you know, um, that took way too much thinking making <laughs> that infographic, but, um, but I like, so the actual production acres, is is at a certain point of actual production acres. And I really define that APA because you can have a 50 acre farm and you're literally just farming a quarter acre, right? Like that's common, like actually people who have, so you really, you know, what are your actual production acres? That's where you define it. So in a certain actual production acres for certain types of enterprises, you know, you need to go to a four wheel tractor. And at certain actual production acres for certain enterprises, the two-wheel tractor is appropriate. And then there's a gray zone in there. And the gray zone in there starts with the bucket. That's where it starts. So at a certain point, you may consider uh, a four-wheel tractor. But I would ask you to think, do I want a little four-wheel tractor and the bucket and just use it for these jobs and not invest in all the implements? Because every single implement for a four-wheel tractor is like, four, five, six, seven thousand, eight. Trust me, then they even get up to like fifty thousand dollars, right? Oh, New. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you gain a hay baler or something, right? You right. know, so um this is this is this is, you know, uh this is something to to think about is where 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 you need it. So at some point the bucket is the weak link and you might want a little tractor with a bucket, but you still might want to use the two-wheel tractor. Why do that? Here's a few reasons why. Why use the heavy weight of the two-wheel of the four-wheel tractor in your small market garden, you know, when the two-wheel tractor can do all those jobs and it's easier to repair and all these things. But I still need the bucket. Well, maybe get the little tractor in the bucket, right? Um, and then also if you're not using it a lot, that four-wheel tractor, if you need it for a certain period of time, you can always sell it. You know, so I actually have a project right now where I need a little bucket and I got a small little Kubota tractor for that project. It's housed at that project and I'm probably going to sell it in a couple of years. 
I just isn't using it right now because I prefer not to rent it, but also consider renting, right? So, so yeah, if you're telling me you're doing 30 acres of organic vegetables, get a four-wheel tractor, bro, right? But if you're telling me you're doing one acre of organic vegetables, two-wheel tractor, two acres, probably two-wheel tractor, three acres, I don't know. Maybe you want a bucket and two-wheel tractor. Maybe you want to start to mix equipment scales, you know? Does it justify the expense? Are you making money, right? So I think that's that's what it comes down to, you know? Um, you can have you can have different things. Be specific here about the bucket, right? So if, if anybody doesn't know, when we're talking about a bucket, we're not talking about the kind you, you know, fill with water and take around by hand. This is what you see on a front yeah, end yeah, loader, yeah, yeah. right? This is what you see at the, the front yeah, yeah, yeah. cat or something. So a, fr a front end loader, sure yeah. On the same page, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 you're totally on. Like yeah. it's, a, you know, I, and I like to say things in a way that like everybody everywhere will understand. So yeah, it's the front end loader. You know what? I think of a tractor as like a human. Yeah. So the bucket of the tractor, the loader of the tractor is your arms. Yeah. Right. And the bucket is your hands. Mm -hmm. And then you can, you can buy different implements to go onto those arms, that loader. You can buy a bucket, which would be like your hands cupped, you know, yeah. lifting soil with your hands, or you could buy, you know, uh, a fork, you know, to, to like spear your hay bales or things like that right Move so around like a forklift yeah. yeah 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 but that's the that's the that's the that's the place where you know you might want to transition so but it depends on the type of farming you're doing so you know if you're if you're market growing um you know you can you can do a lot with with um you know shovels and wheelbarrows and you might just want to skip out on that bucket you know or here here's what i would really recommend is 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 do everything with a two-wheel tractor where you really need to rely on that equipment and you want it in good shape and you want it, it's easy to maintain two-wheel tractors. Like they're, they're like they're little, you know? Like you want to jack it up, like literally you can lift it and put a block under it. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not, you don't need a big shop and all this space to work on them. But then get yourself a cheap used tractor that has a good bucket, you know? And Maybe it's maybe it's like way too big and cumbersome to like work in the fields, right? Because if you're a market gardener and you're using a four-wheel tractor in the field, I'd be like, get a nice, you know, four-wheel tractor with the right tires, the right width. Like you want it to work your bed widths. It yeah. can't be random. It has to be set up to the architecture of your bed. You know, you have to have the right clearance. Everything has to be adjusted right. Um, and it can't, it shouldn't be too heavy either. So, you know, but if you're just using the bucket, for bucketing type work, turning compost, you know, filling little manure spreaders fast, like um, all this sort of stuff, you might consider just getting whatever tractor comes along that's affordable as a bucket tractor, right? Yeah. Okay. So back to the what you said in the, the beginning. So then on the small side of things, why why not why not just stick with hand tools, right? Um, so, um. Well, first of all, I mean, you mentioned fuel usage, right? You can do things by hand. So I think that that is, I, I would say that in that sense, I would just say energy is energy, right? So like, you know, are you using your energy, which then you're feeding yourself food and that food is using fuel, you know, some tool tractors are now going electric. That is the future. So I think that's cool. Are you using animal power? I would sort of say like energy is energy is energy. Um, what is appropriate for your enterprise, right? Like there's things you can do with a tool tractor you can't do by hand without a lot of energy so at a certain scale of production you know you really need to have equipment now it is possible to use 
equipment early on and develop your beds and develop the 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 substructure of your garden and your space and then you might be managing it with more tools and supplies and hand power so that's one scenario like you could build a half acre or one acre garden system and use equipment early on rent it borrow it buy it sell it and then transition to more hand tool basis you could do that um you know, that might be the argument for the no-till folks, but but I always say, like, I, I've yet to see any person saying that they're doing no-till that didn't use equipment to establish their land. Like, I've just, I just never seen it. Equipment or the the work that equipment does with many hands, right? Same thing. Like, I, I've built I've built garden systems, you know, with, with many, many hours of shoveling and broad forking and digging and turning. You can do that work. There is nothing wrong with that work. But... At a certain scale, it becomes really approachable to want to do it with a tractor, you know, because it, it's fast. Like as a landscaper, I don't want to do that work by hand. I want to come in there and build really nice raised beds efficiently and get them planted so that I know that I have a successful site done, right? Sure, so, especially if you don't have um, all the hands as well. It takes that place. It's a lot of work, man. Like, I mean, I you could build gardens by hand, but, you know, it's a lot of work. So, but on the other side of things... Um, there's some land that's not approachable for two wheel tractors, right? Like, you know, where we met up in Guatemala, like on those hillsides with all that rock, you know, I mean, you could, you could run two wheel tractors around, you know, for harvest and stuff like that. And but on you terraces be using is what we built a lot of. There. Yeah. 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 Those rock terraces, right? Like, yeah. so you could use it to haul rocks, right? Yeah. You could use it to bring in the harvest. Like that sort of thing, right? And those little tuk-tuks are popular there. And, you know, <laughs> so, great. you know, you can literally get a salt, a little seat to go on the back, actually. You can sort of like sit on a wheeled seat and drive your two-wheel tractor around. I'm oh, no kidding. I haven't you know? seen that. So, nice. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, there are, there are situations where it's less practical for certain things just because of the environment, right? Um, but at certain scales, you know, every, you can do, let's, you can do anything by hand. Yeah, of course. And anything you can do by hand, you can do with a two-wheel tractor for the most part. You know, and most of what you can do with a two-wheel tractor, you can do with a four-wheel tractor. It's about knowing what enterprise you have and what's the scale of your enterprise and then making sound decision-making about tools and hands versus two-wheel tractors and combining them um, versus four-wheel tractors. And you always combine them. Like, there's nobody operating with a two-wheel tractor that doesn't use hand tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. So in that middle ground, you're all hand tools have hand tools apply everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere along the line, you use hand tools, you know, everywhere. So it's just where at what point you start to add, you know, engines and equipment into the mix, right? So um yeah. It sounds a lot like the little ebook that I wrote, the uh, homesteading for any home that that's still on the website, where the basics are apply are applicable at any scale of homesteading that you're doing, whether it's a little amount of potted plants on the balcony of an apartment or all the way to a multi-hundred acre farm, right? But as you start to scale yep. up into enterprises and the amount of work that you're doing certain tools are only applicable at that size, at that scale, but the basics are always yeah. applicable, right? Your kitchen is going to be the center of production and transformation for everything that you produce. That's the same, whether you're in an apartment or we are in a mansion, right? So 
uh, it yep. seems like this yep. is very, very analog to, to what we're talking about here. It's like, just know the scale and the, the level of production that you want to make sure that you choose the appropriate tool for that. Now, within that, after this comparison mm -hmm. between the four wheel and then moving back to hand tools, there's also a range of two wheel tractors that you can choose from. Some of them are made in different countries. Others have advantages or disadvantages over others. Give me a lay of the land about what options are out there and how you might be looking at them from a decision-making standpoint if you're trying to invest in one of these machines. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, they're really in use in a lot of places. Like if you're in Asia, Japan, Southeast Asia, there's all sorts of two-wheel tractors. There's not a lot of information out there in English about them, but they're there. They're out there, you know. Um, in North America, you can't really get them very readily. There are some now that are coming in from China that are essentially the um, and the ones that are produced in Asia don't look like the European ones. But there's now some that are being exported from Asia that are the European design. You can see that in the in the in the in the in the, the body. Um, I don't know a lot about them. I wouldn't buy them. Right. I just wouldn't buy those. If, if I'm going to buy a European model, I'll, I'll get the one that's made in Europe. Right. So. Um, if you're in Europe, there's a lot of models. There's a lot of different brands and things like that. And Italy, especially like Italy was like a hotbed. There's lots and lots. Um, in, so if you're in, you know, Switzerland too, there's a really great Swiss model, very powerful, good for mowing, uh, doing mowing management, mowing lands on steep hillsides. Um, and if you're in North America, um, the really the most popular one here is the the bcs um you can also find grillo and those are both multi-functional styles that can use a lot of different implements so um i grew up with a bcs that's what I, you know my dad had a bcs when i was a kid um you know the farm i worked on in new, northern new mexico way back in the day that's what they operated with so that's what I'm most familiar with. It's it's always served me well. And um, there's also a um, cultivation two-wheel tractor uh, that's been coming out in the last years um, called Tillmore, and that's available in North America. So if you want to do row crop style, you know, which, re which, which requires flattish land, right? This is, this is not, like this is row cropping, right? So that's for row crop farmers. It's not for anyone else. It's for market growers that want to have a row crop component. It's for back to the lander kind of homesteader folks that want to have like a big row crop component. Like mm -hmm. I want to grow a ton of homestead potatoes, you know, or something like that. And I want to be able to cultivate between the rows. Um, and, but it's mostly for row crop farmers that want to have larger spacing between the plants because sp space time energy, um, space time energy money, right? That's how I, that's how I like to put it, you know, um, is it, if you if you have more of one, you you lose something. So if you give more space to things, usually there's savings in time or money or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And vice versa. So that's recropping, right? So yeah, there's a lot of different different models out there like that. Um, and then there's a lot of different ones within it, different models. So you know you might be looking for uh, a smaller, lightweight, more entry level cost two wheel tractor, like for the BCS. That's the 722 and similar models. You know, in Europe, they use different model numbers in here, but, you know, this is this is not as heavy duty. Right. But then you have, you know, 
ones that have you know differential lock right which can be helpful for long runs you have um you know different different styles of transmission etc um but ultimately you know there's you know i suggest a lot of good examples in the book of what i would recommend for different enterprises but you can always work with your dealerships right whatever dealerships are in your area to, to find what's best yeah that's cool it's it's Sounds like a pretty niche thing. People who are doing row crops at this point who aren't doing it on a scale where a four-wheel tractor might be more appropriate, but it's good to know that that option is out there too. Now, we have- There's actually a big emergence in it though. Really? Yeah. Like I was surprised when I did research. Yeah, like they're they're rebuilding like all the, they have a four-wheel, Tillmore's making a four-wheel tractor, row crop tractor too, that reminds me of the old farm. I'm all 100s and 140s. There's a there's a big emergence in it, so it's it's neat to see that. But um, it's not for everyone. Like it's row cropping, sure. right? So, sure. but you can. But I, but I, I like I'm going to be playing around in one of these living laboratories with with highly diversified row cropping, where the extra space is then intensively cover cropped because okay. you can you know, you can make jazz with anything once you learn how to play it in classical mode, right? So, <laughs> yeah. There you go. You like, I like that analogy. <laughs> okay, so yeah. There's always going to be some disadvantages of any entropic machine, right? Its tendency is to try and break mm -hmm. down. It's not going to grow or evolve like living systems. And so we need to keep our minds onto that. That being said, you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that the maintenance on these things is pretty manageable. Can you give me an idea of what to expect, what you should consider, and maybe the maintenance that you should plan for to make sure that these last as long as possible? I mean, the, the main thing is just, you know, it's like common sense stuff. Like, really, it's about not breaking it, right? So, you know, if you have really giant stones in your land, then, you know, you're a little tiller is going to have a hard time with that right? But if you don't, then it's going to be fine, right? Um, you know, if you get, uh, if you catch a bunch of uh, junk, like drip tape and stuff in your tiller or in something, you got to clean it out, pull it out and like take care of it, right? And walk around it, you know, make sure that the oil is, you know, at the right level, right? Um, it's pretty basic stuff. It's, it's like any other kind of vehicle maintenance, um, but it's small, you know, it's just like, it's easy to, you know, you can walk around it in a second. Right. So, um, you know, I think that the, 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 the major things, I, I don't hear a lot of failure issues with these sort of things. It's more just like, you know, you might need to tighten your brake cables occasionally, things like that. Um, you know, do an oil change when you need an oil change. What's cool too, with, um, well, at least the models I have, the BCS are, uh, they're all Honda engines, right? So if you're, you know, a homesteader and you have a Honda engine on other things, you know, maybe your generator, your backup generator is a Honda engine, like, you know, it's, it's a good engine and people are familiar with it. Right. So that's, that's pretty nice too. But um, yeah, not, 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 not a lot. I do lay out some examples of maintenance at the back um, of the book. There's a section on that, but I, I find that it's pretty straightforward stuff, right? It's not uh, nothing too extreme. Well, one thing you mentioned, too, is that because these engines are fairly common and in the places where they're produced, at least, at least the, the, the European ones, they're common enough that replacement parts are easily available. Because that's really, to me, what I think of when I think of an easy to maintain engine is can you get the parts you need, right? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, and, and that's it. And I, B, BCS has been around for a long time uh, as a company. So, and they do have an extensive dealer network in Canada, in the U.S., in Europe. Like, it's um, it's not hard to to find a dealership. And, you know, if, if it's not right next to you, you know, they'll, they'll ship you anything you need or whatever, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't had, like, what... What have I replaced over over you know more than a decade? Like like uh, rotor tiller tines. Yeah, that's you know? true. The stuff that hits the ground is going to get more wear and tear than the engine. Itself. Yeah, yeah. So prop up the back end, you know, you know, take put the new tine on, you know, yeah. like like the there's not been much, you know, um, you know, there's always little. I mean, there's always somebody where something happens, right? Like you know, but. Um, I haven't had, I haven't had too much major issues of any sort. So, um, but yeah, like I said, I, I guess that's one of the, that's one of the, I guess the most important point on this is, you know, um, if you're someone who is good at maintaining equipment, uh, already, you know, your car, your other things in life, you know, this is going to be a breeze. And if you're somebody that is not good, and this is like, it's like when I do like, uh, you know, consults for people, I'm always trying to figure out like, what are your skill bases and what are things that you're, you know, curious about expanding and building new skills in and what things are you just not going to build skills in, right? So if somebody is like, well, I don't, I'm not really good at maintaining things, but I think I'm going to, you know, I think I'll build that skill up. Well, this is also going to be the easiest option for you in terms of equipment. Um and fundamentally, one of the reasons is um, snowblower, rotary plow, garden tiller, you know, um, log splitter, one engine, one transmission, one set of wheels, right? Like right there, I just I just eliminated tons of maintenance, right? So, you know, that's that's sort of the that's the multifunctional nature. And that that's what I that's what I think is so brilliant about it, you know, which is what I think is brilliant about the tractor. I mean, that's the tractor is a cool thing, too, man. You know, yeah. um, and the horse is cool, too, it because it. Hooks up to, yeah, yeah, it's it, these these are these are really these are powerful things, you know, to have that multifunctional nature. I think what's not cool is that we've we've now gone to like a million single purpose, um, poorly built power tools, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't like that. I, I'd rather have a really well-built machine that can be multifunctional. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Now, look, let's go into some actual practical uses because you use this stuff all the time and you're out in the field doing landscape work, farming. Let's take an example mm -hmm. like putting in one of your permabed systems. What's that sequence and where are you using this two-wheeled tractor in the development from scratch of, a let's say, like a one-acre permabed system? Yeah, yeah. So um I like I actually just last year I put in uh a uh like a a full permabed system for a project in Quebec, right? So um and and all the pictures and videos for this are actually at our online school ecosystemu.com. So if people are into it, they can go over there and check out in more detail. But this was a really great example because I did it with the whole thing with the uh the rotary sorry the um the power ridger so the whole plot was micro plowed with the little plow the rotary plow was all micro plowed 
And then it was, you know, uh, softened with a rear time tiller to kind of break up the chunks. And then I go through and I flag uh, the, the paths of every single bed throughout that whole plot. You know, every single path gets flagged. And then I go through with the power ridger and you just follow the flags and somebody can come and pull them out in front of you if the ground is too rough to like hold a mark in the ground. If it can hold a mark, you can just, you know, mark it along with the back of a hoe, you know, or you could spray paint a line or something. But regardless, you flag it, but then the flags have to come out ahead of you and you just follow those flags. And this is why the power ridger, you know, a lot of the information about building raised beds with a two-wheel tractor um, talks about using a rotary plow and the methodology of using the rotary plow. And that's in the book. Um, I do show how to use a rotary plow and you do a lot of paths, but building a raised bed with a power ridger is light years simpler and more effective than that. It's just, it's so simple. It's how I used to build raised beds when I first started my market garden, you know, what seems like a gazillion years ago now, but you know, and, and it's how I used to build raised beds back in the day in New Mexico, but I did it with a tiller and a furrower. And so you till and you furrow out the paths, but that doesn't build the depth of path to build the kind of perma beds that I build now, which really have good height to them and then really maintain a lot of integrity in the soil core. And I don't till down into that core. I maintain it. So the power ridger does that. The best time for earthworks is at the beginning. Throw it on, you know, make the layout that you want for success and then apply soil conservation techniques, you know, but we need to build things like, you know, you know, permaculture, every, earthworks, everyone does like earthworks was always a massive part of permaculture. So somehow now all of a sudden, you know, the tillage is like this bad word. And yet we forget that like, even when a tree falls in a forest, it uproots and rips to hell the duff layer and exposes mineral soil. And you know what grows in all that mineral soil? Whole bunch of little seedlings, you know? Vegetables are disturbance creatures. So they need that little bit of disturbance. But anyways, I deviate. If, if, if you are building your perma beds, you want to do a lot of earthworks and the power ridger will just zip up that path and it'll shoot soil on both sides. So you actually build half of a perma bed on the right and half of a perma bed on the left with one path. And you will then come back and build the other half of one of the perma beds and start half of the next. This is a lot more efficient than going with a rotary plow and building half of a, a bed with one pass. Not to mention that what happens is that with the power ridger, because it's throwing soil equally and it's centered and you're driving it centered and it's, you end up with very nice straight paths, you don't end up with issues of, I didn't quite get the architecture and the width of my beds correct. So a rotary plow is a bed forming method for building beds. The power ridger is a path making method of forming beds. And the path making method is far superior. It's a superior method in all ways. So that's good to know. That's really good insider advice. Now, you've got so many other things going on with your company. Before we wrap up, can you tell me about? some other educational opportunities you have? Because I know you've got them both in person and online. 
and some of the other projects that you're working on at the moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, we run an online school, Ecosystem U, so Ecosystem and U for university.com. And uh, right now we're running an edible property design master course. So people can sign up for that. And, you know, you can you access the content at whatever pace you want. Um, and But there's live lectures for the next four months. So that's that's there. We also run a mentorship program at Ecosystem U. Um, so folks can check that out. It's pretty cool. It essentially is a, I was talking about a, a two-wheel tractor eye view or a garden tool eye view. It's a Zach's eye view of gardening. <laughs> because <laughs> I just I just post stuff all the time whatever's happening whatever I'm doing and then right. people can you know ask questions and things like that too so that's cool um I'm on book tour right now so I'm sort of you know going all over um I just finished a big round in Canada of stuff and um and then in the summer I'll be dipping down I'll be in Kansas and Pennsylvania and uh Wisconsin and other places so you know folks if you're in any of those areas you can let us know and also we're going to any i'm not saying no to anything so you know if you send me an email or something if you want to run an event of any scale we you know figure out the logistics and and do it so um yeah but you can check you can check that out at ecosystemu.com for the online stuff and you can you know keep posted at zacklokes.com for events or reach out if you want to host something oh man that's super exciting i gotta get you connected in with our farm community here in Europe and see if we can't get you over to this side of the pond. My place is not quite ready yeah. to host events yet, but it's definitely what we're moving towards. And I'll definitely be reaching out to you as soon as we have the, the hosting space for it. Yeah, that'd be fun for sure. It'd be, it'd be nice to, to catch up and, you know, eat some good Spanish food and talk, yeah. talk permaculture. Oh man, you got to try my partner's yeah. cooking. She is on point these days. She's like, it's is what she's, dove really deep into and her cooking is amazing right now i love that i love that <laughs> we're actually running this other series right now which is pretty cool it's called talking food and uh this would be maybe a fun event oh, to do it's yeah. really low key we just slide into people's homes or small businesses and we make food you know together or pre-prepare with a lot of local ingredients but essentially what we're doing is drawing out the stories from people nurturing and like bringing out their stories and in, the, in the relationship to food and uh it's it's pretty it's pretty cool so that's, that's another idea. thing to keep an eye on that for sure yeah what a cool idea yeah so you to get a sense of what we talk about you can check out the i'm trying to do youtube i just i just started but you can check out on youtube at ecosystem you or just put zach lokes i've got a talking food series on youtube and that's the sort of things it's like it's like it's sort of like what are the words and terms and like thoughts that we need to like bring back into our conversation around food you know so yeah i, love it. I think people I love like it. that too Man, you're always doing the yeah. coolest stuff. I really look forward to finding a way for us to get together again and collaborate, maybe run some educational events or, you know, talk food like you're talking about. Uh, I really yeah, appreciate yeah. you taking the yeah. time to, well, to explain some of the really cool details about this versatile machinery that's very relevant for a lot of people who are trying to, you know, get more serious about the production that they're doing on their small scale operations. It seems like this is really a uh, a very well-designed option for them. And I hope they they check out the book. It's it's extremely useful, practical manual. I was going through it in detail before this and 
like honestly i had some expectations before you know like okay this is kind of narrow i know his other books this seems like he's going on a different direction but it, i mean yeah. it concisely it's not it's not as narrow as you'd think right that's that's it yeah and especially the way yeah. like we said at the beginning how you connected into the other patterns and the teachings from your your larger volumes yeah. i'm honestly really excited to see the follow-ups to this you know it's you know, what, you know what's funny man is well. like i I can't really do that narrow because I'm such a broad thinker in a way. Yeah. So I was even at an event recently and somebody was like, well, I'm probably I'm never going to use a two-wheel tractor. And I said, honestly, you know, if you just read the book, you'll see that all the concepts around how to scale, start up, scale up and pro up and how to think about decision-making decision and how to like, part. yeah, it's very well summarized in there. Like it, it applies to anything, right? Like that's that's just the way I write. Like yeah. I don't, you know. So yeah, I appreciate it's your really thought cool there because I, I agree. Like, you might at first look and be like, "Oh my God, well, what if I don't ever use a two wheel dragon?" Like you probably love the book anyways, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well done, man. It's really great to catch up again. A joy to talk to you. Let's keep in touch and figure out new ways to collaborate. You betcha, man. You betcha. Always a pleasure right. chatting. Thanks once again to Zach. I've included links to his many resources online, including Ecosystem U, Ecosystem Solution Institute, his personal website, and all the social media channels. And you'll find valuable resources on all of them, and they're all available now on the show notes at regenerativeskills.com. Now, before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners, exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from this show. Our Instagram account, at regen underscore skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet, and we're here to help you find your path. So as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.